Talk Recorded live. If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that's because you're either listening live and you're in the chat room or you've happened upon a pre-edit copy of the Scuba Obsessed Netcast. Come back in a few hours, maybe a day or so, month or so, maybe. Who knows? And uh, we'll have an edited version already for you. Scuba Obsessed's weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, in Scuba in the News. Scuba Obsessed episode 208 was recorded live July 31st, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well, thank you. Glad to be here. And we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just great, thank you. And we also, for the first time probably in a couple months, we've got the chat room live, which I, I think the, the chat room has to qualify as a, a guest host. We missed having the chat room. Hopefully everybody was listening. So they must have been because we do have a few people in the chat room tonight, which is amazing considering how many weeks we went without it going. We're just there to see if it stays up for a change. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it does. You know, maybe it'd be nice if it would. And they're responding back in the chat room. They can hear us. And what they're, how they're listening to us, they're listening to us live on Talk to Record 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, which I think is that GMT minus 5. I'm, I'm never sure because we flip-flop here in the U.S. Yes. We are show 73759. And I'm actually... Not this next episode, but maybe the episode after, we might even try something with video. So keep a watch on. And uh, I think I'm going to set up a newsletter so people can subscribe to it so they can keep up on how we're going to record. Maybe even give them the show notes in advance. Hmm. That could be scary. So you could, you could follow along in advance. You'd be ready. You'd probably know more than we would. Uh, now, what did I do? Speaking of show notes, what did I do with them? I close. Yep, there they are. Too many layers. I do have two monitors with about 10 windows open. Like I'm afraid if I don't watch everything at the same time, something's going to go bad. Like last week, I apologize for the audio quality. It was still legible, but in the middle, it got a little bit jittery. Uh, my Internet was going back and forth between the old and new connection, I think, might have played a factor in that. So we're going to see if we can do better this week. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. I don't have any of these pre-queued because I didn't want to jinx us. So the first one is $4,000 in scuba gear has been stolen. Ooh, let me get to paste this into the chat room now. It's been a while since we've done that. Well, and I remember this website now. It takes forever. The McDowell County Sheriff's Office detectives need assistance in locating $4,000 worth of stolen scuba gear that was a from a fort, an old fort residence on Wednesday, July 23rd. Russell James Fisher of Jonas Ridge reported that someone entered the house on Exclusive Estates Drive, an old fort, between 6 a.m. and 5.40 p.m. and took a stereo, a TV, sports equipment, a computer monitor, 
with a total value of $1,600. What was unusual, though, is that the culprit stole at least $4,800 worth of scuba gear, missing our scoop, two scuba pro regulators, two oceanic dive computers, two dive masks, a female wetsuit, a pair of scuba pro dive fins. Uh, anyone with any information can call the Detective Andy Manis at the McDowell County Sheriff's Office at 652-2237. And they're saying it's Crime Stoppers, so all information would be anonymous. Is that really? I can myself in. Can I get the reward and still keep the stuff? <laughs> uh, I think, I don't know if you can get the reward. I'm pretty sure you don't get to keep the stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, you might not want to do that. Nice picture of the BC, but they didn't mention that as part of the uh, stolen gear. Well, I was trying to figure out how it it came up so much. That's what I was doing, too. I was trying to do the math thing. Did he get ripped off when he bought it, or is he trying to upgrade? Were those all things that were stolen in his house that he really wanted to replace? Uh, police are hunting for a thief who stole a 6,000-pound boat engine. Now, that's uh, the British pound, not that that weighed 6,000 pounds. And this is from the Calshot Subaquatic Club. The police have launched an investigation after the new boat engine was stolen from the Hampshire Diving Club. Scuba divers from Calshot Sub Aqua Club are hoping that people will give them some assistance with finding their Yamaha 150 BHP two-stroke engine that was taken from a locked facility in New Forest Farm. Now, is that British horsepower? Is that what that means, BHP? I wonder if theirs is a little different than the U.S. horsepower. Are there's like, maybe those are like Welsh cob ponies, and then, you know, we've got quarter horses. I guess you have to know horses to get that one. Uh, the club official said the boat was also badly damaged when the thieves struck. Uh, let's see. They took uh, the engine. They cut through cables and pipes. For instance, a fuel line, pipes to the oil reservoir, throttle cables, steering lines, and even lines for our echolocation system were cut or simply pulled away. We understand from the police officer dealing with the rest, that two other boat engines were stolen the same period in much the same way would certainly warn anyone who has expensive boat engines stored with a boat to be very vigilant. And if you have information, you can email them with it at info at calshotdivers.com. That would suck, wouldn't it? A brand new boat motor and somebody takes it? Yeah, I hope they have insurance. Well, further down in the article, they talk about that they're that they do have insurance on it and they're waiting for the claim, but they have no idea how long that's going to take. Which are we spoiled here in the U.S.? Because it doesn't seem to me, unless there's questions where they they don't believe you, usually they they pay out claims pretty quick. Yeah, especially if you file the uh, police report. And then we have some Alaska fishermen who have found a blue lobster. They said it is a rare color king crab. The photo was taken July 4th, 2014, and was provided by Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Crab fisherman Frank McFarland holds up the rare colored blue crab he caught in his commercial crabbing pots. Frank, oh goodness. 
Kaver Look Jr. It has much more letters than that, but I think that's what it is from Nome, Alaska. The blue crab is being kept alive at Norton Sound Seafloor Center until McFarland can have it mounted. I don't recommend that you mount your own blue crab. Uh, The rare-colored crab has become a rock star of sorts, people showing up the center and have their photos taken with it. Maybe you wonder when he said mounted, if you meant like on the pole. Oh, oh, I, I was, I was thinking something completely different. And really, how much preservation does a blue crab take? I mean, couldn't you like crack it open, eat it, and you'd still have enough shell you could put back together? Can't you make more money with it alive? Yeah, we know those crab fishermen. We've seen deadless catch. Those guys are loaded. How do you mean loaded? <laughs> I mean, they have money. Oh, okay. I thought you meant to drink a lot. Yeah. Well, that too. If I was out there in their weather, I'd be drinking too. Well, you'd need to. That would throw me overboard. I'd be so sick. Yep. And yeah, looking at that. I mean, you could have done it. They could have auctioned it off. Who wants to eat the world's rarest crab? Make money that way. And I think this one's probably on the other side of the world. We'll find it. Yeah, this one. So we have, we go from Alaska to New Hampshire. Or New Hampshire. How's it pronounced? I've got You're family in the US, there. In the U.S. or, or uh, England? <laughs> England? Let's try the U.S. In the U.S., it's New Hampshire. In the U.K., it's New Hampshire. Okay. And in uh, New Hampshire, a fisherman caught a rare lobster that's bright orange with blue spots. Joshua Beringer found the calico lobster in one of his traps on July 23rd in the New Hampshire's Hampton Harbor. He donated the one-and-a-half-pound five-year-old male lobster to the Explorer of the Ocean's Aquarium in Hampton. Uh, he tells the Portsmouth Herald the lobster was found in an area known as Washerwoman's Rock, an area between rocks that gets its name from really rough and wash machine-like waters. The aquarium says that the calico lobsters are the second rarest in the world after albino lobsters. She says the spots are the rarest of genetic pigmentation Mutation occurring one in every 30 million to 50 million lobsters. Well, I would say that's pretty good to be donated to the aquarium. I wonder if he gave him butter with it. Melted or otherwise? Yeah. I, I, I always prefer the melted. Had a lobster with butter. Real butter, not that margarine junk either. No, no, got to be real butter. So, are you thinking about going to the Philippine school I'm hearing about? Yeah, the Philippine school. They'll teach you all sorts of important skills, like how to keep your fin on, how to use your core muscles. Uh, we're talking about the Philippine Mermaid Swimming Academy. It was founded two years ago by a mermaid-loving duo. Was it Anna Anime Senez and uh, Normit 
preglo. That's what I'm saying it is. They teach We're not going to argue with you. Focus on core muscles and they swim around like Ariel. Now, one picture they've got, the three of them on the beach, that's a very angry sky in the background. It does look like it, doesn't it? Oh, man, it looks like I'd be running for shelter instead of playing in the water. Well, the one thing about that, is that really an angry sky, or is that just the results of uh, some Photoshop color filtering? And it looks like an angry sky. It looks <laughs> like an angry sky to me. Yeah. yeah. That's a head for sure quick. Now, did you look at the videos? Because, I mean, as much as I appreciate the other three photos. No, I didn't watch the videos. The video, video has a lot better pictures. In the video? Of the whole lady. Oh, the lady, okay. <laughs> Ladies. Yeah. Uh, now, did you get the price of the class? This seems a little weird. It is $24 for an introductory class. The price includes mermaid tail that you get to call your own, a set of photos for taking part in the spectacle. So I'm, I'm not sure. Does that doesn't seem like a lot of money, does it? I I would pay them for that to be with those two I thought it cost you more than that. Hey. They're going to charge you to watch? <laughs> hey. Watch out. I want in there, too. Yeah, you you could be the the thin the thin positioner. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe if they ran out of breath, you could give them mouth to mouth or something. Hey, whatever it takes. If that's what's necessary, I'll do it. You'll sacrifice. Absolutely. Do my oh. part, mankind. Did you know they have them at the Florida Aquarium? What the mermaids? The mermaids. I've seen down in Florida. They got a few of the mermaid shows. Well, if you if you watch the video, you can see them at the Florida Aquarium. Hmm. Speaking of Florida, they're attempting to ban an invasive fish. Can you guess which fish that is? Oh, gosh, let me think about that really, really hard. That's for the nail, right? Yeah. Now, is that kind of like evicting them? You are hereby banned, and you must leave our waters now. I've never heard of their vision, meaning if you put the signs up, do they read very well? And I don't know about their audible understanding either. Yeah, and what we're referring to is that Florida is, passed, is in the process of passing laws, if they haven't passed it yet, to make it illegal for growing them in aquariums, importing them to be an aquarium, which at this point, what does it matter? I mean, that, you, what, even if you dumped yours from the aquarium, that'd be one left. They want to shut the barn door, I think. Yeah, yeah. They even said that in the article. He said it was kind of like shutting the barn door after the horses are out. Uh, I just yeah. hope they don't ban mermaids. Well, absolutely. No. I'd, I'd be aggravated in that one. Well, I think they need to require mermaids to have spears and hunt the lionfish. Uh, I don't want any mermaids to have spears. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. 
Well, one also uh, a little bit farther down the article, they said starting on August 1st, okay, which that's the date, so it has passed and that's the effective date, is when they're going to ban the importation. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission will also allow lionfish to be hunted by divers equipped with rebreathers. So it must have been illegal for a rebreather diver to hunt lionfish. They they must have thought it was too much of an advantage. The poor lionfish. Two million eggs a year. Good luck keeping up with that. Yeah. Not not to mention it's bad, but the picture under that article, Mm -hmm. that's a little scary. Let's see. I might have a different picture than you do. I just got blank. I don't have a photo. Oh, it's a picture of a python from Florida. Yeah, they've been having pythons recently that have been getting out. They, they're they not many. You know, they don't breed as quick as lionfish, but there's been a lot of people down there have been seeing pythons, and they think those are coming from the people who decide they get a little too big. Well, part of it, remember, came from the last couple of hurricanes. Oh, yep, and the flood. That's right. We had that article, and they were talking about that uh, there was a pet store that flooded in people's homes. That, that also makes sense. So you just need to put, like, an explosive collar around your snake, so if it floods, it just explodes. Works for me. Yeah, I can also, I'm, I'm not a vendor like that. You can see how, how that goes. Always the entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, nothing like uh, selling hand grenades you attach to your snake. Scuba Group proposes underwater playground off Alabama coast for younger and less experienced divers. The Alabama Gulf Coast Reef and Restoration Foundation is looking to approve upon and add some existing reef structures off the Alabama coast to create Poseidon's Playground, a group of scuba reefs shallow enough for young and beginning divers and interesting enough to draw attention to the area. The foundation raised $500,000 to sink the Lulu, which was a whole ship diving reef last year. The project got Alabama's coast on the radar divers through the region. Lulu sits down at about 112 feet, too deep for young and inexperienced divers. Leela Harris, a foundation board member who teaches scuba certification classes, the state needs a site more accessible to all divers. She also believes that a little variety can go a long way in making the state an attractive diving locale. Out here, we have mostly shipwrecks as dive sites. Why not build a playground? We can have bicycles, benches, mermaid statues, and possibilities are endless. Now, don't they have quarries down there like we do where you put all that stuff in? I don't think so because of the water no. down south. A little different. Yeah, Florida or Alabama, southern Alabama is... Uh, very clay, and I'm okay. not familiar with any quarries down there. Yeah, no clay quarries. Nobody wants one. Yeah, I just don't. How long is a little playground reef going to last at shallow depths? I mean, I'm for it. I, I think it's a good idea. I don't think it would cost them much. They said structures would have to be steel or concrete. They'd have to be firmly attached to a base structure like a water marine, like the Walter Marine Groupers Reese pictured in the photo gallery above. What is that? 
Well, they're just showing some structures that people made. Yeah, you could do stuff like that. You see the turtle? Yeah. You know what? We could like. I would love to nominate all those sculptures on the St. Joe <laughs> Beach. Those could all be used. Yeah. Some sort of reef. They'd make a good fish reef. Yeah. And for people who know what we're talking about, these are like one I would call the what sixty foot stainless steel flaming fa- <laughs> male anatomy. Well, it's phallic symbol. I, I never saw it in that light. I I didn't either, uh, Darren. Well, maybe just me. But I didn't build it, so it's not me compensating. <laughs> I can put that duck in the water. Yeah, that'd be nice. Now, how's this for something to find in the water? Family finds 300-year-old sunken treasure off the Florida coast. It was a piece of a 300-year-old filigree necklace. And all the photos, it looks more than just a necklace, doesn't it? It looks like a a blind. I mean, it's hard to get any idea of scale. I'm guessing since it's a necklace, that's only a few inches high. Eric Schmidt, professional scout uh, salvager, I was going to say scavenger, was scavenging with his parents when he found the crumpled square-shaped ornament in a leisure trip to hunt for artifacts in the wreck of the convoy of 11 ships that sank in 1715 during a hurricane off central Florida's coast. After discovery last month, a team of Spanish historians realized the piece fit together with another artifact that was recovered 25 years ago. It formed an accessory called the Finx, worn on a chain around the priest's neck to carry communion host. The dollar value is uncertain. It's priceless, unique, and one-of-a-kind, said Brent Bisbin, operations manager for 1715 Fleet Queen Jewels, which owns the rights to the wreckage, located in 15 feet deep or... 15 feet's not four and a half meters, is it? Yeah. I think somebody... Is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I did do my math the wrong way. Now, Schmidt, who lives in Orlando, last year discovered 300,000 worth of gold coins and chains from the same wreckage. Schmidt's parents have hunted for sunken treasures as a hobby for a decade. By law, the treasure will be placed in the custody of the U.S. District Court in South Florida. The state of Florida may take possession of up to 20% of the fine. The rest will be split evenly between Bisbane's company and the Schmidt family. Now, they say they can take 20%. Is that 20% by volume or value? I'm quite sure it's value. Yeah, that, 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 that gold-wise, that's only about $1,000. Here, let me give you that. So how much did it weigh? Uh, I don't think they said. Yeah, we're still running around 1300 in that one. I mean, you, you look at that. Now, I think in the photo, I'm not sure if that's, I don't think that's the same one. It's a ton of 16. Huh. This is it from a handout photo, so it's not clear if that's, just another one like it. But look at all the detail work in that. Yeah. Let me see. That, that, 
that took some skill to put that together. If it were intact like that, I would say that's amazing. It looks like that one's been worked on at the least. Yeah. I'm my gut says that that is not the one they found. That is one like the one they found. Origins of the mysterious World Trade Center ship have been revealed. If you remember back in July of 2010, amid the restoration efforts at the World Trade Center, construction workers halted a backhoe and they discovered something unexpected where the Twin Towers were. It was located 22 feet below the street level, which had been an underground security complex and parking garage. They managed to find the framework or hull of a long-forgotten wooden ship. Now, uh, the report suggests that they have been able to analyze the rings, and it shows the vessel was likely built in 1773, soon after a small shipyard near Philadelphia. What's more, the ship was perhaps made from the same kind of white oak used to build parts of Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence U.S. Constitution were signed. The timbers were sent back to New York, just 20 miles north of the World Trade Center, to a tree ring laboratory at Columbia University, Lamont Dory, Earth Observation and Palisades, New York. Researchers at the dry of uh, the lab dried up the fragments slowly in cold room and cut the slices of the wood to get a clear look at the tree rings. Seems like once you formed and shaped the timber, how would you get a correct sequence for the rings? Well, if you look at the photo, they show it in there. Is that, is that, would that make sense? Would they leave the bark on that? Hmm, that's a good question. I wouldn't think that you'd leave bark, but that kind of looks like bark. I don't know if that's just the rot, but it's also a different color wood there at the edge. But they're showing the center. And maybe they can guess by, like, you know, if it's quarter cut, how far away it is from the core. And then I think what they're doing is they're trying to match up the rings. Because they have an idea, you know, about last time that was exposed. Uh, and they had been doing surveys of wood at different locations where they knew the age, kind of building up a library to help them do these these type of analysis. The thing is, I don't know how, unless you had really strong difference in the rings, how consistent that would be across an area. Yeah, besides, that's a specialized field. Who else is going to tell them they're wrong? <laughs> exactly. Martians put it here in 2,000 years ago. But that's like about... Eight. But you, you pick, look at the date they picked. I mean, who's going to argue with them? Yeah. yeah. A, few, a few things that they thought was interesting was that they, it appeared that the, the boat met its demise just 20 or 30 years after it was built. And then also they said that based on some of the destruction they you know the worms that they had in the wood they were able to figure out what part of the uh, world it had gone to
But it seems like we have other people building underwater hotels that we won't be allowed to go to. <laughs> you talk about North Korea? Yeah, yeah. What is it? I got that. should be in here somewhere. That's not showing up in my notes. Oh, there it is. But I, I skipped right over it, didn't I? I knew you were holding it. Oh, oh that, that was, that's the best one. Because nothing says joyful happiness and diving underwater like North Korea. They Not plan to for build. Me, thank you. The North Koreans plan to build an underwater hotel as part of a world-class beach resort development. Kim Jong-un is uh, pushing ahead with plans to transform the Democrats People's Republic into a world-class tourist destination with an underwater hotel, the latest idea on cards, in, on, in the cards. The hotel concept is part of a development project for the region around Wosan, the country's east coast, for Wonsan. Industrial port of Wonsan would be the gateway to a major beach de- resort development of the nearby Kalmal Peninsula designed to lure international tourists. Besides the underwater hotel, the 1,400 HA, is that hectares? Development would also feature an amusement park, flower park, according to the Poingang Times. The beach resort would cater to 100,000 visitors. Now that photo, do you think that's a real photo? Of the, tu- the tunnel where they're all walking in it? Well, it, that one is visiting an aquarium in Wosan. You're talking about the one with the shark above yeah. it? Yeah, you got a shark above it. Now, that looks like an actual aquarium-type photo there. And so there's, there's a bottom. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot of water above them. I just wonder if General MacArthur would go there. Now, his plans uh, are trying to entice holidaymakers eager to sleep with the fishes with potential destinations including Dubai, Fiji, China, and even the Great Barrier Reef. How did he mean sleeping with the fishes? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's you come, they take everything you've got, then they just use you as part of the foundation. Yeah. That's how it works. I just don't think of ski resorts either whenever I think of North Korea. No. What I really think it comes down to is he can't go anywhere else himself, so he's got to build it if he's going to use it. Looks like he's having fun on that roller coaster thing. Yeah. Yeah. What do they say? It's, it's good when you're king? Oh, I mean dictator? I mean leader? Yeah, about the same. Yeah, about the same there. Photo of the week. We have a fish that kisses a diver. I'm not thinking that that falls into the patty requirements for do not molest the fish. Photographer Carice Naldi, 36, snapped the moment a 
grouper fish popped its head out of a hole and landed a kiss on diver Marilio Marbella's lips. It was off the Caribbean. It was in the Caribbean off Honduras. Without apparent feel, the grouper popped out of its hole and let the diver brace it and even have a kiss. <laughs> I guess you could say that. And and while we're on it, why don't we, we jump to the video of the week? Didn't make you wonder why he had his regulator out? Oh, that's uh, a posed shot, yeah. You think? Yeah, because yeah, unless the fish took his regulator out and then gave him a kiss. Well, I guess that... Yeah, no opposable well, thoughts. At the moment, the grouper popped its head out of a hole and landed an underwater kiss. Maybe not. A little poetic stuff there. Yeah. And then we have... Uh, now, this is a bad pun. That's Amore, the mm-hmm. scuba diver and the eel. The video is actually interesting. I cannot believe how much that eel was, I don't know, called snuggling up to her. It almost acted like a cat. Would you play with that cat? No. No, I've seen what a more eel can do. There is no way that... When I was looking at her gloves, if you're watching the video, it almost looked like she has you know, chain mail or some sort of reinforced glove on. And she's feeding it. Does it look like uh, several of the teeth are missing from the mori? It looks like he has one instead of a bunch. Oh, man, maybe that's that's a trick. I, I'd be hesitant to do that. Yeah. So it says back in the 70s, Australian... Ocean experts and cinematographers Valerie Taylor and her husband began swimming in the oceans, studying marine life. Taylor says she first met Honey, the eel, back in 1974 while diving near Banda Island, Indonesia. She began feeding the curious fish other fish, and over time the two developed a bond. She says that after a few years of regular visits, as soon as Honey spotted her diver pal, she'd swim out of her cave and greet her, and the two would cuddle. The video was shot years ago, and, Al- and Valerie rarely dives anymore, but thanks to the Internet, this footage was reposted. So Valerie doesn't dive very much. Is that from injuries? Yeah. The right side of her face missing. Yeah, but that's – I don't know how else to explain it. Look at that video. I, I don't recommend either that, kissing fish or stroking more eels. But I think you can fondle a, uh, an underwater ROV if you'd like. I think I'd rather play with the mermaids. <laughs> Here's a tentacled underwater robot for exploring tight places. It's a multi-armed robot, Prose drone, named for the god Poseidon, 
Poseidrone? Poseidon. Oh, I get it now. Okay. Poseidrone. Ninety percent of the body is comprised of soft materials, gives it the ability to explore small spaces, repair underwater equipment, even wrap its arms around a human body, uh, potentially for rescuing. How big is that? I'm I'm very curious about it. Says, I mean, to me, it almost looks like it's just like a six eight inches. It says repair underwater equipment. How are you going to do that with those soft whatevers? Yeah. Sounds like somebody fishing for some DARPA money. <laughs> he said that the, the colleague, him and his colleagues are exploring 3D printing technology to advance the field of soft robotics. With the printer, they're able to design, experiment, modify quickly the goals to determine the robot that not only robot not only the octopus, infinite range of motion, flexibility, but one that mimics the animal's unique nervous system. You know, there, there's a big difference between this dangly appendages of that robot he's got there and an octopus. Okay, you see that little arrow on the right-hand side? Yeah. Look at the third picture. Just click it, you'll see a turtle. Then look at the other picture. starts making more sense. Oh, okay. Now that that uh, that appendage that they got there, that looks promising. If it actually works the way it is in the photo, and it's just not formed that way in advance. The fourth one is interesting too. There's a fourth. Let me see. Ooh, yeah. Little mix between a crocodile and a snake there. Yeah, I was thinking more like the snake. Yeah. Well, because you're a crocodile, do that kind of same motion with the the fins. And the, 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 go to the next one, then jump one more, and then you got a creepy one. Oh, the the jellyfish ones. Oh yeah. See, I don't think this is all the same group. These are just different ones that different groups have done. Yeah. You're gonna play with that thing? No, I I'm, it's not cuddly. <laughs> but I think I prefer that over the more eel. Take my chance. Are you still going to grow up a grouper? Yeah, no, I'll pass on those as well. Wow. Yeah, the, the rest of these, these are, these are all, yeah, that, that's the most prolific robot company around if it's done all those ROVs. See, what's that one say on it? Bio. Yeah, I don't think it's the same company. I could be wrong. That's still cool. And here's something I kind of don't know how practical it is, but maybe it could develop into something. The broadcasters in Japan are using LEDs for underwater TV transmission. The Nippon Hozo Kiyaki wants to broadcast live TV from underwater, but it's been tripped up by the pesky cables. Engineers are developing underwater wireless transmission system that uses lights from LEDs. They use the blue lights because they're able to penetrate the water better. The uncompressed video from an underwater camera is fed into cable to a waterproof casket containing transmission equipment. An encoder compresses and encodes the video into IP packets, which together with air correction are sent to electrical sent to an electrical to optical converter. Sent to an electrical to optical. Oh, it's electrical to optical. Yeah, okay. 
I beg to get a little too technical. Converter drives an LED module, 16 blue LEDs. It turns it on and off to transmit the data to a converter located in the receiver's waterproof casket. Receiving data is converted back to uncompressed video and sent to a cable and monitor and land of the ship. We, and then they go on and on and on and on. I'd probably get rid of the word casket for uh, consumer issues. Yeah. Yeah. Housing, underwater housing. Yeah, and, they, and later on they call during testing the beer keg size casket. Beer keg and casket is not something that you want said together. Yeah. Right now they're able to get about 30 meters. Oh, wait. No, in the swimming pool, the test said it was estimated to 100 meters. They're going to a smaller light unit, which I think will give them 30 meters. It's a little too big for them. You know, I can see an application for it, but I don't. Is that cable really that much of a hassle? Just sounds like you need to have a little bit of planning. Wireless is nice. We know that. Oh, let's see. I think that does it. I think we've uh, done done it to scuba in the news. Didn't get too sidetracked either. No. No ranting raves or anything? No, just me making bad references and mispronouncing. So, yeah, about normal. <clears throat> yeah, we're just mellowing out. Yeah. I was expecting something on the uh, gold one, but I, c- I couldn't get can't get you to bite on that. <laughs> and the chat room's still working. Everybody hanging in there. Wow, we even have a few more that have joined us. So thanks, uh, Paul and Frank and Melenix. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll keep doing this as as long as it works. So next week, uh, tune in at. Well, between 9 and 10. Well, that is the first time in many, many weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see, this has been the first time in many, many weeks. It's actually been all three of us for a while. Yeah. Now, Mac, we'll start with you. I know you have gotten some diving in. Well, just a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. I saw some photos from Pawpaw. Yeah, I was out uh, checking the North Bay, looking at the uh, aerators, and going ahead doing a little video trying to get to more weed shots at the bottom. So Pawpaw's nice visibility is about a foot, so that sort of sucks. Uh, the river sucks more. <laughs> it's brown, and you can go braille, so that's not a real fun place right now. Uh, Lake Michigan's been nice. Except the last time I went out, we had an upwelling, whereas two days before, surface temp was 72. And at 30-odd uh, feet, it was 55 or so. Last time I was out there, freaking 42 degrees, 30 feet. So it's really changing out there. So it's not getting better then. Well, actually, it is. Bob and them went back out this weekend, or I should say last weekend. Uh, got off North Piers uh-huh. and uh, did very well. Found a nice camera out there. Another uh, waterproof one that uh, works to, when you got it up and recharge the batteries. 
Got a nice bracelet for his wife. <laughs> I saw that. Man, yeah. he's looking out. Yeah, and the obligatory golf balls. But it was uh, 70 degrees on the bottom. I believe it. Right, right there by the pier, it seems to be this year it's been warm any time we've been that way. So have you gotten any other diving in, Mac? Just like the Lake Michigan River or two, and then a couple of pawpaw. Okay. No gold yet. Now, how's the colder temperatures? That what kind of effect does that have in conditions? You're saying in general? Yeah. Or really none at all. I'm not real sure. I, I was up in uh, South Haven three weeks ago, and the guys up there at Steelheaders were talking about. There's no perch. Well, last week down here, there was perch all over the place. And the only thing different was the temperature in South Haven versus here. Hmm. Uh, all I know is that buoy there at the cook plant really can save your bacon. If you planned on doing some dives, you might want to check the temperature. Because I, I was on a locate and recover mission out there a couple of week, week or so ago. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I had planned on wet until I double-checked and found that was 42 on the bottom. <laughs> I was dry in, in uh, the crab gloves. Well, right now it's uh, about 66 on the bottom and 68 on the surface. Oh, no. And what depth on the bottom? 66. Oh, that means it's rolled been... over. Yeah. Uh, and it hasn't separated yet, so that means lousy visibility on the bottom. I oh. when I got there, I had maybe arm length, and that was it. They were going to put that uh, new buoy up out of South Haven uh, two weeks ago, and based on the weather, they did not. Does anybody know if they finally got it out? Uh, as of yet, last night, they had not because one of our local fishermen. Uh, got his downriggers tangled up in a temporary mooring line they had up there. Okay. And he chose to cut the mooring line rather than his downriggers. I'm sure they appreciated that. Yeah, I hope they find the daylights out of him because it had a Noah buoy on it. You know, it was a temporary, but it was marked as a Noah buoy. And he was permitted. And he cut it. Yeah, there needs to be a heavy fine for that. Interesting. Do they know who it was? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they know, but Bob was diving it yesterday to restring the buoy for them so they could could set it. <clears throat> well, some good work for Bob. <laughs> Actually, Bob's been getting out pretty good from what I'm hearing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I understand that he's in the market for a uh, imager, a down imager. Really? Sweeney? Or no, no, no. Mr. J from South Africa. Oh. Yeah, I, yeah, when I was in the dive shop, I, was, I wasn't I was talking to him. I was talking to our other contact. Mm-hmm. And uh, he mentioned that they, he's been pretty busy this summer. He's had some people from the east side of the state, some scuba divers that he's been chartering, taking them out. Yeah, I've been doing the techie stuff also. Techie guys. Yeah, that's good. 
And, and Santa Claus, Richard, I don't know if he's been looking at some of his stuff. He was looking to buy a sailboat, and his wife wanted a houseboat. So it sort of compromised. And you have to take a look at the boat he's uh, he's looking at right now. You get a chance to go down there and talk to him and say, show me your boat. Or your yeah, I'll have to. That I'll have to. It's, it's a little bit of a project, but it's that could be something really nice to have. Well, I had a friend uh, who bought a, it was a decrepit aluminum boat. And you hear him talking about how big it was. And then I, he, I said, well, where you got it? He goes, oh, it's outside my house. And he's a handy guy. He does a lot of mechanic work. This was like a 40-some foot aluminum hulled boat that he had that he was working on. And he refinished it. Uh, I don't know what he ever did with it. He had it in the water for a couple of years, but with them not dredging, he when they put it in, yeah. the water was just deep enough to get it to the slip. And at the end of the year, they could just get it from the slip back out. Well, talking about dredging, have you been downtown lately? I have seen the dredge hanging around down there. What's it doing? I don't know. Why is it dredging the back end of the island? Well, the the rumor I keep hearing is it's not that they're going to force those guys out, but they're going to make it economically attractive for them to leave. And then that that little area will be converted because I'm sure it has nothing to do with that brand-new, wonderful-looking hotel that's looking straight across that little bay. Of those towns and lumps of dirt. I mean, without naming names, I don't think even if you're a municipality that you want to go and start a, you know, some sort of battle with probably one of the richest guys in the area. It doesn't seem like that would work in your favor. Depends on how rich you can, richer you can make him. <laughs> well, I mean, that's true. I mean, if you're basically giving him improvements and he's like well okay sure i'll sell it uh, i haven't dove that place over there for a couple of years and i am really hot to do that well I, yeah because i saw that where it was dredging i just could not believe i'm like what the heck they doing there where are they i haven't been down well if you go downstream you know where the island is the downstream the point where it had the you know, kind of the fancy boathouse and the three or four slips there and you know, where he had the building with his name on it right there. They've been dredging all around that. Downstream. Right there is Downstream a couple of the islands. If you go to the right, you go down to Morrison Channel, go to the yeah. left. Yeah. Uh, right there where the sailboat places hadn't been used for about three years because of whatever issues they may be having. Oh, okay. Uh, right there. Yeah. So it's. It almost looks like they were clamshelling, and I'd love to know where they were taking the spoils because I'd like to look through that stuff. Yeah, it did look like a clamshell. That's what I thought was so odd. I mean, that's if you really want to go down. Yeah. I mean, unless there are some other, I mean, they're not trying to uh, pull up cable or anything, would they be? Well, that's also where the big boat comes in, those who offload his, his concrete and stuff. So they may be, in fact, making it much deeper for him. And turn around because remember last year when he went there, he got sort of stuck and the yeah. bow was actually hitting the opposite side, and he was really having the horse to get it turned. Mm-hmm. So they may be trying to give him some more maneuvering room, but if they're digging a hole. That means all those bottles that's been out there are now moving someplace else. Yeah. Now, now when you say that, uh, I wonder if that might have been a compromise for them 
because of the uh, because once they have turned a little bit more over to where the marina is going in. Well, I'm not going to say it has anything to do with it, <laughs> but uh-huh. take a look at the boats inside that new marina. Well, I haven't been down there in a few weeks, actually close enough to see the boats, but they were bigger boats than what I'm used to seeing down there. Yeah, I was over there a couple of weeks ago trying to drum up some business, so I got a little tour, and there's a couple of nice boats in there. And even though there's no, there's some empty slips, they're not empty. They're booked up for a couple of years already. Yeah, well, it's a it's the hottest, newest thing. It's kind of like a nightclub. You put it in, everybody wants to be there. Yeah. So I'm sure there's some people who had some smaller beachfront property, you know, anywhere from Holland down to Michigan City who have been drawn in to that new development. Well, I still think it's interesting how they keep talking about uh, reopening the channel, the ship canal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're in Benton Harbor? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I always thought they should have done that years ago, probably about not long after they closed it up. Right, they closed it up in, uh, in the, right at the early 60s. They needed it for parking downtown. <laughs> that lasted how long? Yeah. yeah, they didn't need it for parking. Well, well part of it was the uh, salvage operations. They would park the boats and chop the ships up there. So it'll be interesting to see where that place, uh, what goes on with it. But if you've got property on that ship canal area, I think you want to keep it. Yeah. I don't think there's so many people who got property anymore. I'm sure there's probably three people that whole strip, not including the state and the county. Yeah. Well, who's got plans for this weekend for diving? I'd like to get out on Sunday and at least do some survey work. Uh-huh. You mean have to walk them out and see what the visit is and maybe get wet. Well, I am slated to do some diving. Uh, somebody who has not gotten wet yet in 2014, uh, I think I've convinced him to go out, and we're we're planning on going out Saturday. And if we get blown out Saturday, we'll be out Sunday. And that's Mr. Keeman and myself. Yeah. So he's Matt, been out with boat a lot. You really able to get out and do some survey on Sunday? That sounds reasonable. I'll wait and see how the IDPA goes on Saturday. Uh, I know Mr. Curtis has been out doing the SAS dives, and actually he was on Wednesday. He was at uh, Gull Lake in the afternoon and did the uh, Lime Lake dive, the one with the canyons. He did that that evening. So he'll probably have some good uh, stories about it. I don't know if he has a GoPro or not, because it'd be interesting to see some pictures. Even though you can find him on the club site, I do believe. The only reason I didn't go, it's a long drive, and I'd rather go to Paul Forwards quick. Yeah, Papa, it's nice to drop in. Has anybody been doing any river diving? Oh, like I said, the river's... uh, still pretty fast. Viz was nothing 
I sort of went down just to see what it was like, and uh, it's too much with low visibility and the potential snag hazards. Yeah. Um, getting caught in the strainer. Uh, so I did not really go mucking around like I normally do. And you guys do know that they have instituted a uh, ordinance in Niles for all the parks and including, according to who we talked to, the river, $5,000 fine for metal detecting and taking artifacts from the area. Is that around the, uh, uh, up by the fort? No, Niles, the whole damn place is considered by them now as an archaeological zone full of antiques and antiquity. What? Oh, yeah, that got my attention. <laughs> we were out uh, doing some detecting a couple of weeks ago and got approached by a gentleman who asked, were we doing any good? Which usually makes you wonder, like, what does he want? And then the second question was, do you have a permit? And we said, no, we were not aware we needed one. And he handed us his card because I asked, who are you again? And he was one of the uh, commissioners. Said, well, if the policeman had seen you down here, since it's now an ordinance, uh, the fine is $5,000. So so here, what is the requirement for posting any of these frickin' ornaments? Ornaments well, that they come up with. This is what's good, though. So we, we, we listened to them, and we were being polite, and we were not digging. You know, we're doing our our uh, screwdrivers and ice picks, no shovels. And uh, like I tell them, I said, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can tell me where I've dug, and I've been here an hour. And, of course, he couldn't. And he didn't really try. He said, yeah, you've been watching us. We weren't creating any kind of problems. But he just thought he'd let us know because they have that ordinance. We got talking to him, and then, uh, believe it or not, we got we got on the aspect of uh, the buttons and the shells you make buttons out of. Uh-huh. Well, that was probably a good trick because he just sort of got off track of what we were doing. It was going to let us know what he'd been doing. And uh, he actually had a display and still has a display at the uh, Niles Library for the month of November on the history of button making and the shells. Then he proceeded to walk us over to the shoreline to show us where the shells were. Uh-huh. That I never noticed because it happened to be uh, poison ivy, uh, poison oak, right there by it. You guys want to go down and get some of those? And it's like, on one hand, he's telling me, you know, it's verboten. And on the other hand, he's offering, hey, go ahead and get a couple. So we went later and went to the courthouse and asked to uh, get a permit. And the lady said, no, what permit? So what it sounds like is they passed the ordinance verbally. I cannot find it in writing yet. I've looked for all the ordinances that have been published or not published, uh, but they haven't. And in the ordinance, it says that you can get a permit from, and I won't go into who has it here, but then we asked, okay, fine, can we get one? Well, they haven't written one yet. This has been over a year now. Oh, it's been over a year? Yeah, that's, and that's the first time we've got mentioned to, or spoken to. And then we asked about, well, can we get a permit? Well, 
they said they don't have it yet because nobody's ever asked for one. Well, it's like, why do you have an ordinance if you already don't have the permit system that you're talking about that permits you to do something? Yeah, you, well, this is the type of stuff where you need to log it, the dates when you do all these activities, and if they pull you out, you know a judge would just throw that out. He'd go, okay, legislature, you passed it, you didn't put a system in for permit. How can you be in violation of something that they they can't implement? Well, then they'll go over and quote the antiquities law and the Michigan law of anything on the bottom lands belongs to the state. And they are simply enforcing the state's regulation. It, it's very ambiguous to say the least. But no, that, that's not correct. I, you're preaching to the choir. But when you tell me the park that's downtown that's tore up to make the park is now an archaeological zone, I, you know, what's archaeological now, guys? You just killed it, tore it up, made a park, and now I can't dig because it's an archaeological zone. That includes all the way up to and past the dam, because that was another area that used to be a, a junk a junkyard. That right. was a dump. Well, it goes past that, past the road where we um, get into the kayaks above the dam, and includes all the area back of that by the St. Fort, uh, Fort Joseph uh, dig, which that part I understand. But we're, we're still waiting to give them time to, now that they know there's some interest, to yeah. make the permit system, because we will be back. Well, see, now you've just given them enough, enough time to where they can amend it to say, oh, we don't permit, it's not allowed in any circumstance. Well, that was the other part that I thought was funny. The gentleman told me that two people had permits to, to do that himself and another gentleman. Well, in talking to the chief of police slash whomever, uh-huh. he says, nobody has permission. <laughs> but there's a little conflict there. Yeah. Well, or they've got themselves on a list where, you know, pre-permit. Well, why I can't, why it bothers me is I asked, you know, what prompted it was, you know, people doing something really bad. And the bottom line comes out is there's a guy who was actually metal detecting with a freaking shovel and had destroyed sprinkler systems on public property. So instead of arresting that asshole who's destroying public property with a shovel, they make a ordinance to make it not, there's no logic there. Yeah, well, I'm sure there was something where the attorney said, well, you know, you know even though he is doing damage, you're going to say, well, who's to say that, you know, if the park is for your use, who's to say that somebody doesn't think that using a shovel is his use? That's, but but I've never seen a park have sprinkler systems. I mean, I mean, you got to be a dunce if you're going to start digging up a sprinkler system thinking that's something. You know, and then well, not, you should be able to see the head too. Oh yeah. So, but if it's a knee-jerk reaction to one guy, why not educate the one guy as opposed to making something that applies to people who aren't doing that? Yeah. Well, have you, have you seen on the Discovery Channel all these salvage shows 
yeah. people are breaking into abandoned buildings and salvaging stuff, and then they reproduce it and, and make and make art out of it. And I'm thinking, here's a guy who's on TV with a camera crew that's going to be broadcast, and half the people he's selling it to are politicians <laughs> and public officials in these towns. Yeah. So I, you, we're becoming what we we make we used to make fun of. It, it's getting ridiculous, and, and part of the reason we we've been doing a little bit of research and uh, been looking for a particular boat that was sunk in St. Joe River called the Navy Crockett. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing some scanning based on some different accounts of where it's at. And I'm just hoping the river cleaned up a little bit because there's a lot of places I need to be looking, let me tell you. Yeah. I'm trying to get down a better location for another boat that's sunk that had uh, stoves on it that were never recovered, according to the articles. Oh. Yeah, you should be able to find... What boat is that? Say again? What boat is that? It, it's uh, it's like a keel boat. It was down off of Berrien Springs. The old steamers they had back there. Yeah, riverboat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to look at the areas and um, do pictures to figure out best options for diving. And uh, we did some scanning at Lake Chapin. Uh, I got some really neat shots of the missing structure. The abutment, bridge abutment? Yeah, the because the, there's two of them that have been knocked down at least. One, actually. The one that's missing. Uh, if you look at the shoreline on both sides, the, the one on the far side away from downtown Berrien, there's a, a bridge abutment you can't see because it's in crow's-gen vegetation. No, but there, but there was one that, that got blown up. Okay, that's not exactly true, by the way. That's what we were trying to prove. One day it was, and one day it wasn't. You heard that, right? Right. Well, the, because there's there's two of them I know that are that are gone of abutments. Because there's one that went recently, like in the last couple of years, and then there's one about 20 years ago. We'll have to get together, and you'll show me where you think the missing ones are, because I know yeah. where one is. And it, it, when they blew it up, if they blew it up, they didn't blow it up. They blew the hole, a hole in front of it so it could fall over. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure that's what it was. It, it wasn't. I mean, the people who heard the sound said it was. It was. It was loud, yeah. and they just didn't really realize what it was. And then it was gone. The ne- you know, when they looked the next day. Right, and it's it's there. It just went. It toppled over. So they yeah. did a good good job on the charge. Excuse me. Yeah, because, I mean, you could, if, if they had really blown it up, I mean, there would have been shrapnel everywhere. Right. Do you realize how deep that place isn't? On the opposite, do you know the where you come on the riverside where we have built down the embankment and where that first section is missing? You know where I'm yeah. talking? All right. Yeah. That's 26 feet deep there. Okay. Go to the second pylon out from that one. It's about 14 feet. When you get on the opposite side, you're in four and a half foot of water. Really? 
Right, and that's where that kid drowned last week or a couple of weeks ago, remember? They were looking yeah. for Well, on two of the pilings out there in shallow water, someone has put a grappling hook over and actually put ladders on the side of those so you can climb up and jump off. Yeah. And if you do that, jump, don't dive, because the water is freaking shallow. I didn't realize it was that shallow out there. Yeah. In the middle so of that, who's who's one of them who who jumps off it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he runs back and forth with his uh, depth. Yeah, he I don't think he's got a uh, a full uh, side scan, but he's got a depth finder and he runs mm-hmm. back and forth to make sure nothing has positioned itself when he would jump. Yeah, but out in the middle of that, I didn't realize it's four foot. You have to go around the sides of it to clear the trees out in the middle. Huh. Yeah, I know that that from years and years of water skiing out there, that that is very dynamic, how that bottom changes. Yeah. And half that lake is really shallow. Yeah. I did a little scuba diving because my mother-in-law's house is right there. Oh, I like Chapin. Yeah, it's uh, it's about four houses up from the Grove. Did you see? There's a big, uh, it's a dock that's got like a houseboat on it. Yes. Yeah, that's that's her place. Oh, okay. My my brother-in-law owns that. It's licensed as a boat, but it's more of a homemade pontoon party barge, I guess is what they call it. Yeah. We went. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, then we went and hit all the bridges, the two overpass bridges, and we did a little bit of mag fishing while we were out there. Oh, cool. That's a lot of fun. But never... Never put something on the end of your line that you don't want to lose. If you find something heavier, then you can pick back up. Uh-oh. Well, we figured that'd be a good place like for safes and guns and things like that. And yeah. you found something heavier than what you could pick up? Yeah, we had <laughs> yeah, we had fun for a while. I have a picture. I, I didn't pull that kind of stuff yet. Yeah, because uh, yeah, there's all sorts of crud. Uh, I haven't had, I, I've done a little bit of scuba diving, but it, it's it been pea green there. Yeah. Plus the hauling my gear down my mother-in-law's hill, which is about 35 feet at about a, a really severe angle. It's a cardiac exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I determined next time I'm going to buy a key to the boat ramp and have somebody drive down and pick me up. <laughs> How do you get access to that boat ramp? Because the, that... the boat ramp is, it, it's called the, I think it's the Berrien Springs Yacht Club or Boat Club. And you have to join. And there's a fee to join the first year. I want to say it's like 150 bucks, And then it's like $20 a year. And I've never seen anybody use the building. There's like a two-story building that you're supposed to have access to. I've never seen that used. But Pretty much everybody who pays that is just because that's the only boat ramp on that part of the river. I had a friend, I think he still owns the house, I'm not sure, but he's got the only other boat ramp on that side of the river, which is where the river first starts to open and become Lake Chapin, and that's above from the uh, the US 31 bridge. So there's like no boat ramps other than that that one there. 
You know, the other one we went in is up in Buchanan. Yeah. Below the dam in Buchanan, down by where the old AP headquarters used to be, down in that yep. section. We launched down there, and it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I would recommend, and I, I next time, if you want, I'll let me know, and I'll see if I can scare up somebody who's got a key. But the best places that go down there at that that ramp there in Berrien, because that's a you found out that's a long ride there and back. Yeah, we we spent a day going back all over the place. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we used to do is we used to do the opposite. We would go up, and I think we only made it to Buchanan once. By the time you, you you get about halfway there, you're ready to drift back down. And you got to watch out for some of the islands in the middle. Oh, oh, certainly. Yeah, that's the river. You almost need a pilot, which, you know, 30 years of me being familiar with that level, and it changes every year. That river yeah. changes every year. And what happens is a, what, where a log stops, that will be a sandbar in six months. Yeah. We got some interesting pictures of, like, when the biz was a little better, I'd like to go down there and see what those bumps were. Yeah. Well, there's a few spots I'd like to, to do between Buchanan. Like, did you see Bear Cave? Yeah. That's, there's some interesting things on the bottom before you get to Bear Cave. Yeah, because you got to think that if there's, you know, the and when we're saying Bear Cave, we're talking about one of the few caves in Michigan, and that's in Buchanan, and it's a, it's a cursed cave. It's I'm not sure. that big. No, it's it a, is. Yeah, it's you. You go in just a little bit, but a uh, bunch of history behind the cave too. But I've always wondered what's in the water because you know that that's been an attractive point for a thousand years at least. Right, it was an Indian point. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of history out there. It's, it's quite interesting. But enough of that. Yeah. Well, hopefully everybody didn't fast forward. Thanks once again for everybody in the chat room. You can follow us on scubaobsessed.com. Visit our website. We're also on facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed at Scuba Obsessed on the Twitter. And there's a few other ways, but uh, hit to the website and I'll get it. And I think it's about due to update the website. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? Uh, Jim, do you, do you got anything to plug? The, how about, how's the preserve doing? Did we lose Jim? I don't know. I'm here. Can you hear me? Uh, we can hear you now. You're probably muted. Okay. Yeah, I was muted. I'm sorry. Uh, preserve is status quo. We'd love to have more members. So we saw a couple ships that might be very interesting to sink, but without any kind of budget, we won't be able to pursue them. So, I mean, have you contacted anybody? Because I mean, sometimes it's the chicken and the egg. People get motivated behind an idea. Yeah, but yeah, I, I saw. I, I think I saw the ship you're talking about. It's a little bit different one than the one my dad was trying to get for other projects. But I understand that that particular organization has got four or five that are going to be available in the next year or so. It wouldn't be a bad idea to approach AEP. I think since that one wreck is in their vicinity, they might be encouraged to assist 
monetarily and getting some more history about that one. Yeah. Especially since it's far enough out, it's not in their way. <laughs> yeah. Well, considering they dug up, too, when they put the intakes in. Now, uh, they ever fessed up to that? or? Well, there's no fessing up to it because <laughs> it used to be in the paper. I cannot find the articles for it. But they actually took some of the shipwreck wood and put it up by the visitor center. Because back in the day, you could go up there and you could take a look at it. Now, I can remember because my dad worked there. and we had, we used to, Remember when they used to have the employee uh, beach access? Yes. Yeah, and we yeah we had the key, and I want to say that there used to be part of the ship that you could you could see along that road. Don't remember, but I know that's where they put the bones at. Yeah. Well, the first one. After that, it created so much stir. They started they clamshelled it and put it out <laughs> to the left side of it, so it wouldn't come ashore. Yeah. Yeah, we do not need we we don't see nothing. Well, back then, it wasn't a big deal. It was in my way. Yep. Let's see. What's this week's dive shop that's a sponsor as I'm trying to get the page to open up? Well, let's see who's up. Let's see. Last week, we had the northern one, our Sheboygan's friend. American Dive Zone in Grand Rapids. Now, that's one I don't think I've ever been to. American Dive Zone, Grand Rapids, 616-949-9577. 3089 Broadmoor in Kentwood, Michigan. And their hours are... Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., and Saturday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Anyway, that's a nice neighborhood up that way. Yeah. They got some. Uh, they got a little bit of money up that way. Oceanic, Poseidon, Scuba Pro, Trident. And if you join Preserve, you get two air fills from this dive shop. A good excuse to hit, head up that way, do some diving. Or if you drive around with empty air tanks in your your vehicle, then you could just get them filled next time you're in Grand Rapids. Yeah. So their website is www.americandivezone.com. Tell Mike you heard about him on the podcast through Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve. Okay, I think we're to that point of the show. Are you guys ready? Ever ready. Oh, yeah. And I think I've edited this one to the point where we can use it, but it is definitely not in the PC part of the world. And where would like that bother us? doesn't have anything to do with coal, does it? No. Nope. No, no, that's not, not your... Not the cold joke. Okay, here we go. Four men have been diving together one day after they returned 
three quickly rinsed their gear and headed to the bar. The fourth was busy washing down the boat at the marina. Three men started talking, bragging about their sons. The first one told the other, my son's a home builder. He so successfully gave a friend a new home for free. The second man said, well, my son's a car salesman. Now he owns a multi-line dealership. He so successfully gave his friend two Cadillacs. The third man, not wanting to be outdone, bragged, my son's a stockbroker and he's doing so well. I gave, uh, he gave a friend an entire stock portfolio. The fourth man joined his friends after taking care of the boats. The first man mentioned, we were just talking about your son, about our sons. How yours doing? The fourth man replied, well, my son is gay. It wasn't the life I was hoping for him, but he must be good. His last three boyfriends gave him a house, two Cadillacs, and a stock portfolio. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, so, do we have to do the Seinfeld disclaimer? <laughs> yeah, every 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 time you say that, it's like not there's anything wrong with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And also and all those some groupers were groped on today's show. No mermaids were harmed. Oh, I got I to hit the button. Yeah, the button. The, the button. recording has now stopped. <laughs>